The gospel comes to us from Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Now, this is, we're in the season uh, of Epiphany, which is actually sort of like an, a, a mini ordinary time. That's why our pyramids have gone back to green, which is what you normally see during the season of Pentecost. During this time, we are exploring acts of Jesus' ministry and uh, showing how the, the spirit that came to rest upon him is working in him in his ministry. Last week, had we had church, we would have heard the call story. And now we have another call story of where he's calling disciples. Because on the seventh, when we met, we heard the baptism of Jesus. And right after the baptism of Jesus, when he rose up out of the water and the dove sort of demarcated him, and the voice of God says, this is my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased, that spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, getting his mind right, preparing himself for the act of public ministry. When he emerged from the wilderness, he began to call disciples and thus engage his public ministry. So here we have Mark's version of Jesus calling the fishermen, reading from the Gospel of Mark. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending their nets. Immediately he called to them. They left their nets and their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of the Holy Word. Please, you may be seated. Okay. Let us pray. God of grace, God of glory, we thank you for this day that you have given us, for this opportunity to gather here. We ask once again that your anointing would fall upon our hearts, that you would guide us and strengthen us, help us to navigate, not only hearing your call, but having the opportunity to respond to it. In all things, forgive us those times when we've just been not willing to engage your word or your people, but you bring renewal to us, you bring fresh and new opportunities, and you give us the reminder that we engage the world not alone, but in concert with you. So may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. May you bless, keep, and guide us now and always. Amen. All right. Let's talk call stories today. I, when I hear the story of Jesus calling disciples, I like to elicit in the congregation and in myself stories of, of call, stories of being called to engage in either a type of vocation or endeavor, even whether it becomes a lifetime focus for you or if it's just a sort of momentary, I must, I feel compelled and overwhelmed to do this thing at this time. Call stories are very important and we should see them as an interaction between us being active listeners to God and God basically sort of bringing us into an awareness of something that God feels we can do, that we are the individual to do that, that, that God has given us the, the preparation, the opportunity, and that we respond 
to that call and say, you know, yeah, I, yes, this, this is the time, this is the place, and I, and I am the individual. The call story um, for, for me to get into ministry, it's not that interesting of a story. I mean, it's not, it wasn't, uh, it, there was no angel that appeared in my, in my room or anything like that. It was, I didn't hear angelic voices. Uh, it, wasn't, um, it wasn't cataclysmic, but I will tell you my story. I was a junior in college, and I was reading Newsweek, right? Because Newsweek is like great theological literature. You didn't know that. But I was reading Newsweek, and, and I was reading the religious there was, a, there was a religious section that they have in there. And there was a, a minister, and I really wish I could remember his name. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm not going to go back in the old archives and do the old microfiche and try to find this just so I can give you the man's name. I'm going to tell you the impact that the, that the article had on me. Because as a result of reading that article, I'm standing before you today as a minister. So obviously it was, it was pretty important. It wasn't so much important the man's name. But as I was reading this article, it was about a pastor who was working in the, the inner city. It was either Boston or New York, but it was like some big city. And he was actively working with those people who were in the throes of addiction recovery. So it was, it was very, very gritty work. Uh, very hands-on. I remember they had a photo of him, and, and he was sort of like standing there, like in a old, one of them Levi's denim jackets with the elbows all blown out. I mean, he was looking like the people, right? He was looking like the people that he was ministering to. And I read this article, and I was absolutely riveted by this guy. And I was like, I was like, now, you know, here, now here, is a, here is a pastor, here is a preacher who's who's not afraid to get engaged with the community, who's not afraid to put himself in the, the throes of where there is the greatest need, uh, maybe even risking his, his own security and his own safety. But as I was reading about his account of being able to work with, with drug and alcohol abuse and the lives that he was helping to transform as he was bringing people who would, whose families had given up on him, right? The family's like, I'm sorry, you always seem to want to tie one on. You're always asking for money or you're stealing from me. I can't have you living here anymore. You Go be someone else's problem. There are shelters for you. There are places where you can go, but it's not going to be here, right? The whole tough love thing, three strikes. They just, families just became exhausted. And this minister realized that these are sheep without a shepherd. And he realized that, that his call through his own life experience was to engage them, to bring hope, renewal, to try to guide them out of their affliction back in, back into wholeness. And as I was reading that article, I kind of, you know how you kind of let the magazine sort of drop down in your lap, you look up, and you think on, on what you've read? Because I was a much, much critical reader in college. That's one of the things that, it's like, read critically, you know, read critically, underline, underline. Look up words you don't know. Makes, makes it hard to get through an article, much less the books that you're called to read because you want to you uh, dissect everything. And in that brief moment, as I was reading that article, I said to myself, I could do that. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Because this man was not, this man was, was not being glorified uh, for, for having a congregation, uh, you know, tens of thousands and slick jewelry and talking, praying with presidents, you know, 
praying with presidents. No, he wasn't doing that. He's down there with the people that everyone had forgotten. But somehow, somewhere in the context of that article, it just appealed to me. And it wasn't so much like I could do exactly what he's doing because we're different people. But I, I, could, I could do a form of ministry. And that's when the seed, that's, that's, that's when the seed, I wouldn't say that's when the seed was planted. That's when I knew what was, God was trying to tell me. Because here's the interesting thing. I'd read that article. Then I went home. Because, you know, the school year was over. So I'm back home. And I hadn't told anyone about that. Meanwhile, I'm sitting down. I'm having breakfast with my mom. And mom says, I saw an interesting program on Air Force chaplaincy. I go, you did? She goes, have you ever thought about going into the ministry? And I'm like, who's been slipping her my mail? <laughs> I mean, you know, but moms know everything, though, don't they? Moms just know. But, but, but that's the first. I said, well, it's, it's interesting that you should raise that point, right? So as God is speaking to me, God is speaking to someone who's a, a very valued confidant of mine, my mother, and mom raises the issue. And I don't go, oh, no, I never thought about that. No, I told, I told about the Newsweek article. I said, you know, I was, re I was, reading, I was reading Newsweek. <laughs> and, I, and I told her again the story that I told you. Probably a little bit better because I, had, I was closer to the article, so I had more accuracy. But I told her about that, and she's like, well, what do you think? Do you think, you think you want to explore that? I said, I think I, think I should. I had never once considered ministry. Um, I know there were a lot of long frowns and stuff when I decided to become a philosophy major because everyone's like, there he goes. There goes another unemployed, right? Another, another unemployed, wandering around the streets asking questions, right? <laughs> Not, doesn't have two nickels in his pocket. So everyone immediately asks, what are you going to do with philosophy? You're going to go to law school? You're going to go to law school, right? I said, no, that's not, I don't think I want to do that. I don't want to make money off people's squabbles. <laughs> no, no offense to those of you who got stomach for that. Great, that's good. Remember, First Congregational Church will accept your donations of squabbling money. But I knew that I, I, I liked I like posing questions. I still do. I was very active in my church growing up, uh, from teaching Sunday school to being involved with the youth group to being an assisting minister. I mean, I was I was at church a lot growing up until I realized that I could get a job and not have to be at church so much. But in terms of like being a pastor, none of that stuff started to gel until I read that article, had the conversation with mom, and then took very seriously that this actually might be a call for me, that this might actually be a vocation. This might actually be God saying, you know what, William, I've got it all sorted. I just need you to hear me. I need you to trust me. I need you to explore this option. And I did. I threw myself, like I do with things that I'm interested in, I threw myself into it, had a conversation with my pastor, started reading books, started you know, applying to seminaries. That's when it became very real to me, when I actually started you know, putting money in there and here's my application. But I still didn't know what that was going to mean in terms of like viability and practice. So I think, about, I think about these fishermen. They're gainfully employed. They have jobs, right? And the first time I, I was over this, uh, well, not the first time, because that was obviously years ago. But one of the times when I preached this lectionary passage, uh, I remember a parishioner coming up to me and saying, you do realize that Jesus had, had probably already established a relationship with these men. It wasn't like, 
you know, instance. But it, maybe it could have been instantaneous. I don't know. I mean, he was the son of God, right? So, so th there could be a possibility that this is the first time he sees them. He calls to them. They immediately drop what they're doing and they follow him. Or it could be that he did have a relationship with them and they saw him. They go, who's the guy? Who's the wandering philosopher walking up and down the shoreline? What's his problem? You know? <laughs> He's looking for volunteers. But what's important is, is that Jesus captivated them. I don't know if it was his parents, the manner of his words, if it was the urgency at which he made the appeal, if it was the, the fact that the invitation seemed it was draped and, and, and cloaked in love. But when he appealed to them and says, come and follow me and I will make you fish for people, there was enough there was enough uh, intrigue in that invitation that what the, that they they said, fishing we know. We cast nets, we mend nets, we bring the catch in, we sort the fish, we sell the. We understand that. We know that. We can do that. We can close our eyes, go out, drop our nets in the best spots, and be successful. But this man calls to tell us something that, well, that's going to utilize skills that we have and apply it in a different way. This we don't know. This is intriguing, but it's also frightening. It's compelling, but it's also sort of a little anxiety. But we, we, want, to, we want to try this out. We want to say yes to it. Now, in, in, in your specific life, in your life narrative, you have call stories. You have call stories that have forged you uh, things that have, that, 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 Everyone's like, well, you, you, can't, you can't do that. And everyone else around you is trying to like put the brakes on and pull back and say, no, don't, don't do this thing. But you know in your heart that this is exactly where you need to be. This is your time. This is your moment. You must go. Do you understand it completely? By no means. But you won't understand it if you don't say yes, if you don't immerse yourself into it. So you say, you say yes to this thing that you don't know because you know that it is not by virtue of your own arrogance or your own pride or your own hubris that you are entering into it, but because there is a higher authority, a greater power that is sort of there who is coalescing around you, bringing you the encouragement, bringing you the momentum, bringing you the guidance, bringing you the buffering that you need to enter into this, this new journey. And that's how I felt in, in my call story. One of the, the greatest anxieties that I think graduates have, uh, be it high school graduates, college graduates, uh, you know, graduate school, whatever it is, when you are graduating from a program of study, when you are finished with your, the, the first thing is, is like, can I do this thing that this accreditation says I can do. Who hasn't had that anxiety, right? You know, you got the, okay, so you did the book learning, you did the tests, you passed the boards, but that doesn't mean you can do the thing, right? I mean, you're like, hmm, I've got the training, but I haven't had patient one, I don't have client one, I don't have congregation one. Can I, can I do this stuff, right? I preached all like two sermons in seminary. I preached two sermons. I'm like, I don't know. You get to stand up in front and talk for a while. And when their eyes glaze over, then go, amen. Right? <laughs> and then sit down. See, that's what I learned. Wear them out, man. Wear them out. Until the plane, please, God, let them dismiss us. But I don't know. So, so that's why I feel with, that's how I feel with, with uh, Andrew and Peter and James and John is that 
Jesus is offering them something. They want it. They're going to say yes to it. But they don't really know what that means. But it means that they're saying yes and that they're like, well, well Jesus, are you going to be there? He's like, I'm, I'm going to be there. They're like, that's good enough for me. If you're going to be there, then whatever it is that you say that I'm capable of doing, which I don't know yet because I haven't done it, but if you're going to be there, then that's where I want to be. That's where I need to be. And that's what, I, that's what I feel about the call story for each and every one of us because there are things that we can choose to do in life for us. Oh, I want to be there. You know, I want to be in the front seat. I want to be picked on the team. You know, I want to be there because we want to shine. We want to sh shine. You know? <laughs> right? We, we, want to, we want to be the star. <laughs> right? Have our Shawshank moment. No. So there's, there, there are clearly self-absorbed reasons for us to want to run to the head of the line. But when God says, wait a minute, hold on now. I'm seeing something in you. Ooh, yeah, I like this. I like this. Why don't you step up? We're like, ooh, I don't know. Because, because what you're asking me to do, I haven't even considered. I haven't even thought about that. Are you sure you got the right number? You sure it's me? You sure I'm the one who's supposed to be doing this thing? God's like, mm-hmm, because I don't make mistakes. And you're not a mistake. And this thing that I have set and ordained for you, it's where you need to be. So, will you join up and take the bounty? Or will you stand there hedging like Moses? Like Moses, right? Moses was called. What did Moses say? He said, Moses, I need you to go to Pharaoh. I need you to... Moses was like, well, I have the speech impediment, and I'm on the lamb, and I can't go back there, and Pharaoh knows who I am, and it's a bad scene. He's like, Moses, stop all that. Stop with your excuses. Stop with your excuses. I'm going to send your brother with you. I'm going to give you a staff. It's going to be doing incredible things, and I will, be, I will be with you. Okay? Now, let's have this conversation again. Moses, are you going? Moses like, well, all right. <laughs> if, if you're with me, if you're with me. So I want to tell you that your call stories aren't over. I'm going to look at Jerry. The call stories are not over yet. <laughs> last time I made a reference to age, Jerry's like, you didn't look at me. So I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging. <laughs> if you still have the breath of life in you, your call stories are not over. Now, it may not, you know, may not be calling to, to save the world, but we are still calling to reach out to one another. State of grace. We are still calling to hold a space. We are still calling to bring words of comfort and assurance, stability, decency. We are still called to be the people of God. And the, so, so whether the call is completely picking up yourself and planting yourself in some different part of the world, or if it's simply, you know, grabbing the phone and dialing a number that's long since been kind of dusty in your, in your contacts. That is a call story, and we enter into these things with the knowledge that we do not go alone. We don't go on these journeys alone. God is like, this is what I need you to do right now in this moment. Do not fear it, for I am with you.